Good morning, one and all. If you don't know who I am, my name is Adrian, and I'll be kind of guiding us through uh, the rest of our time together. Uh, in terms of the slight confusion of is he speaking, isn't he speaking, what is he speaking on, uh, that kind of is just because uh, some of this week has panned out slightly differently to what we planned. We were going to start a series uh, in Genesis called Origin, or Home and the Origins of, uh, this coming Sunday. But just to live with pace correctly, uh, it just felt like this wasn't the moment to start that. We're going to be starting that next Sunday. Uh, but also, just it felt like God was also laying something on my heart, I feel, for today in us connecting where we left off in terms of Vision Sunday last week and something I think we need to live with as followers of Jesus, particularly at this moment, but anyway. Uh, and I'll come on to that in a moment. And we'll see that it ties into where we've been in worship and uh, we'll see how God, I love how he just orchestrates what he wants to do amongst us. And what we do is we just say, hey, we're going to follow Jesus and in following him, he will keep leading us, which I think is very exciting. But if you're around last Sunday, you'll know that we launched that this coming year, we want to give ourselves uh, to making and shaping home together. And hopefully you've got a card on your chair, and the card is there not to kind of uh, be something to sit on, but actually there for you to take away with you, in a way of saying, actually, if you're part of Oasis, saying, actually, this is something I want to take, and take the invite in order that this coming year, I would seek to give myself to play my part in building home, growing home, understanding home is all about well-being, and lastly, praying. Uh, and praying not for ourselves, but actually for the world outside of us. And so I'd encourage you, please do get these. Uh, what we find is they're just great fridge kind of postcards. And I know that's where we put ours as a family, and it just reminds us, oh yeah, that's what we're going for this coming year. But in it, if you're around last week, you know that we detailed that we're about home. And we did that by understanding that call to build home is actually something that God has continuously called his people to do. And at this point, I'm not going to now tell a whole big story of the whole of the Bible, though I'll do a little bit of it. But what we zoomed in on was a moment in Jeremiah 29 where God calls his people who are living in exile, living outside of where God had called them to build home, and says the most surprising thing. says, actually, in this place of exile, in a city that is the capital of that exile, a superpower that have overpowered you, I want you to build home. I want you to build an outpost of the home that you're going to be as a people. And God's people were always called to build a home that would be a blessing to everyone else. And what we saw last week is that zoom in of what God does in his people before Jesus comes on the earth is, is actually a moment to reveal a bigger story that we find in the whole of the Bible. And there are many threads that you can find throughout the whole of the Bible that tell this bigger story of how we as humans fit in to the whole of this story. And one of them is this story of exile that we find at the very beginning of the Bible, which is why we're going to be looking at this series in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 to 3, is that we find that actually God created the universe to be a home in which he inhabited and inhabited with us. And particularly earth was to be that home. And what we discover is earth was a place that was good and was for our best and was to reveal his love. But Throughout humanity, literally a few chapters into the story, we find that humanity says, actually, maybe we can make this home better without you, God. And as a result of that, what happens is home breaks. And then we live in the consequence, and we're still living in the consequence of home being broken. 
But what we find is that God doesn't give up on home, but rather sends his son Jesus to come and restore home and bring anyone who seeks to follow him to home, a home that is still governed by God's goodness and love. And the promise is that he will one day return, which is then where we get to the very end of the Bible. This is a very quick potted history of the whole of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. As Revelation paints the vivid picture of what it looks like when God returns, when Jesus returns and causes this earth to be what it was always going to be, a home that reveals his goodness and love. And one where he comes and dwells and fills it with his goodness and love. And what we said is that actually in our call to live with home, it isn't some buzzword, but rather is that like those people in exile in Jeremiah 29, we're too to live in this moment knowing this planet isn't as it's meant to be. But we're not to give up on it, but rather we're to understand that we get to build an outpost of the home that is to come. And that's what we're going to give ourselves, not just this year, but ongoing from this year. But we felt like, actually, given we've got this structure that we can come in and inhabit, we want this to be a place that actually becomes this outpost of the home that God promises will one day fill the whole of this earth. Therefore, if you're building home, you need to understand the neighborhood that you're building home in. I remember when Lucy and I... uh, Uh, sought to build a house, a home, in one area of the city. We've moved into lots of different areas of this city, and one of the areas, my favorite area, actually, was an inner city area. And we felt like we should move there and wanted to move there, particularly because we recognized that no one else wanted to live there, and that it was a group of people who lived there that often got forgotten. And we just thought, man, in following Jesus, surely that's exactly the kind of place you need to build home. I remember us going to view a house and we met the lady who owned the house and we sat in her lounge and she said, oh, this is a lovely area. And we're like, all right. She said, you've got to understand this, this area, amazing. Across the road, secretary to the dean of the university. Wow. Down the road, a doctor, no less. (laughs) Wow. Over there, someone else who works in education. Wow, this is amazing. Man, this sounds a great area. But the thing is, we weren't looking to buy a house in that kind of area. Actually, this is exactly what we said to her. It was actually my wife. She said, look, we're followers of Jesus, and this may seem crazy, but we believe that Jesus came for people who everyone else forgot. And we're looking to live in an area where there aren't just people like that. At this point, the lady totally changes. And she says, oh, in that case, let me tell you about the real area. She goes, the guy opposite, he's a drug dealer. The lady down there, she tends to work at night on streets. Uh, and that household, who knows what's going on there? And at that point, there was something in us that thought, ah, oh, this is where we could build home. So it's important to understand the neighborhood you're building home in. And it's important that we understand the neighborhood, the society, the nation that we're seeking to build home in at the moment. And though there are many, many good things that are going on, in our society when you scratch below the surface. Actually, I think there's one thing that particularly characterizes where things are at. And I think it's a headline, if you like, that reads something like this. It says, be afraid, be very afraid. Maybe I should change the voice, that's too nice, isn't it? Be afraid, (laughs) be very afraid. That's... All right, thank you. that was my wife saying, just continuously to insult me. Um, <laughs> that in it, there's, 
This moment we're living in, where actually if you to open a newspaper on any given day, if you to watch the 24 news that we have on, the stories that are being fed are ones that are there to generate a sense of there's something to be afraid about. You don't have to live for over the last week to realize that we're venturing into territory which no one seems to have a clue about. So we look at Brexit, and I'm not going to make any political comment at this point, but Brexit seems to attach with it in every sort of way, be afraid. Be afraid where lorries are going to park. Be afraid that there may not be enough medicine or food. Be afraid that we could not know what's going to happen. So Brexit, attached with it, be afraid. But actually, you could look at other things. You can look at just how we are in our healthcare system. Where it says, actually, be afraid. We can look at our education system, where actually the whole motivation of it is, be afraid. We can look at it in terms of the economy, of house prices, of the cost of living, where the governing point is, be afraid. But maybe we don't just look at it as a societal level. Maybe we just look at it personally. We see, man, there's, there's things to be afraid of. Things to be afraid of, of our past, of our future. Things to be afraid of that cause us to live with that sense of anxiety. Man, it doesn't take long in a conversation to say to someone, are you anxious? And generally, the answer is Yes. And it's into that setting, that environment, that neighborhood that we're called to build home. And we're called to build a home where around us it says, be afraid, be very afraid. And so how are we to build them? How are we to shape? How are we to make home together? Or I'd say we're to make home knowing we need to fear not. It's interesting, at the very beginning of this year, Anne Betts, who's part of us as a family, came and saw us as a team, and she just came with this sign, a sign that she'd actually worn in Nativity Who, to be Angel Gabriel, that just literally read, fear not. And she gave it to us, and she said, I just feel like God wants to say this over us as a church. And as I read it, I thought, do you know what, I think there's something in this for where we're at at the moment in terms of our nation that we need to hear that call to fear not. But not only that, I realized that actually in us building hope, actually it causes us to live knowing that we need to build and shape and make home knowing that it's to fear not. See, this isn't a message that God hasn't spoken before. Actually, what we discover is a message that God has spoken to his people when they've sought to build hope. So what we find is in the people of God, in their calling out of slavery in Egypt, that God says, I've got a promised land for you, a promised land that I'd given and spoken of to your ancestor Abraham, a promised land that you ought to build home in, a home that is filled with milk and honey. In other words, my goodness and my mercy and my love. And what God says, though, to build home is you need to fear not. See, this is what we find in the Bible, in Joshua chapter one, where Joshua, who's been given the task of leading the people into this promised home, God says this to him. He says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the River Jordan into the land I am about to give to them, 
to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law away always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. His people are about to go and inhabit the home that God had promised them. And what is it God says to them? Fear not. Be strong and courageous. For I am with you. Why? Why does he say that to him? Why does he labor the point to be strong and courageous? Why does he labor the point to not allow fear in as they seek to build home? Well, because Joshua knew what it was like when you chose fear. See, this is a people who God had spoken to 40 years previously and said, hey, here's the land, cross in. And actually, they'd chosen fear. And fear had a very ready impact. See, what I love about the Bible is it doesn't just tell you the good story of how everything went well. It tells you the story of who we are as humans, where we're frail and weak and make wrong decisions, where we allow something like fear to take root and how it then shapes our future. And in it, what we discover is with this is it becomes a moment where it shapes this people's future, but also becomes a moment where God still reveals his grace. And therefore, it becomes this moment of saying, hey, God won't give up on us when we tend to say, allow fear to take root, but actually, we need to understand that fear will have an impact. Therefore, fear not. So these are people that knew, and Joshua is one who knew that fear had an impact. You see, Numbers 13, 32 says this, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. You see, at this moment, we think, right, great. Well, what's that about? Well, this is about a moment 40 years previously where 12 spies had gone into the land that God had promised them to build home and had gone there to have a little venture out, a bit of an adventure. I say, hey, what does this look like? Is it as good as God promised? And they go and see that it's amazing. It talks about grapes that are too big to carry, which I think is just amazing. Big, big, big grapes. (laughs) And it's saying that it's a fruitful place. It's a place that's going to do you good. And they go there and see how good it is and then come back with a report. And what they say is that it is good. It's just what was promised. However, there are people there that make us feel like grasshoppers. I don't know if we can actually go and build home there. There is much to be afraid of. In actual fact, 10 give that message. They say, no, no, don't go there. There is much to be afraid of. Two, Joshua and Caleb say, hey, I think God is with us, therefore we should go. 
but such a way has fear that it permeates not just this 10 that are left, but actually the whole of the community. We're talking over a, a million people at this point. And it permeates them. So much so they think, hey, we, we can't go there. Yes, God took us out of Egypt, did some amazing exploits there, but, but, but this just sounds too much. And those that want to say, hey, no, fear not, two guys saying, fear not, get to a point by the rest of the community saying, no, stamp them out. If you continue to speak, we're going to kill you. And they just ignore them. And at that point, fear takes hold. And they said, no, no, we can't build home there. And this is what then happens is that God hears what they do and then passes this judgment. Numbers 14, 34. Because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sin. Man, that's hard. This decision to fear leads to a consequence where where this bunch of people were meant to go and live and build home, actually they were going to never know it. It was going to cause them to live in wilderness, wondering about what could have been, but knowing they were never going to get there. Now in it, what I want us to hear in that is that God is one who's out to punish us. No, no, I think it shows us the consequences of fear. As we're going to see, that Jesus is way more able to deal with any falling short we do. But I want us to understand the consequences of fear is they will always cause you to live outside of God's best. It will also cause you to kind of live wondering what could have been as you allow it to take root more and more in our lives. See, fear wants to stifle us. It wants to immobilize us. That's what it wants to do. It doesn't want you to go off and think, hey, I can come and do this. And fear wants to say, no, you can't do anything. You need to just stay here immobilized. You know, the moment in our nation where it says, be afraid, be very afraid, it's in order that we are immobilized, that we just can't see a way forward. That's why anxiety levels are going through the roof. Because what fear does is fear produces fear in order that we continuously are being eaten away by it. But in a moment, we're going to see how we can know freedom from that. But before we get that, that just to know, in this moment, as these people know the consequences of their fear, actually, God still has grace for them. God still graciously provides for them. He doesn't leave them in the wilderness alone. He still meets with them, still provides for them. If we were to go on with the story, we'd find that actually God provides miraculously stuff to eat morning and evening, every day. See, God isn't one who's gonna say, hey, you've done that, you've blown it, get out. No, he's one who graciously meets us when we know that we've chosen a way that wasn't his best. Graciously comes to meet with us. But his desire, though, isn't that we live in this place of fear, which is why then he speaks to Joshua and says, hey, remember the impact of fear, therefore do not be afraid. Be strong and very courageous. Fear not. See, if we look at that call to fear not, it is, have I not commanded you? 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. See, the danger is here is we think that this was a Joshua rocky moment. Rocky the boxer who kind of is the down and out. I've never watched the film just because there's his wife called Adrian and when you called Adrian, uh, you just get sick of people coming up to you going, Adrian. But I know the, the, the bit of the film of this guy who's just getting pummeled. He doesn't seem like he's gonna be strong enough and everything in him, everyone around him is saying, give up. And he goes into training and says, no, no. I'm gonna be strong enough. I'm gonna be courageous. He's there, and he draws on in the very depths of who he is to say, I can do this. And the danger is we hear that, be afraid, be very afraid. And we say, no, no, I'm not going to be afraid. I can do this. I can be strong. I will be courageous. And if we start at that point, we are doomed to failure. And God wanted Joshua to know that. You see, the call to live knowing that there was nothing to be afraid of, to fear not, to therefore live being strong and courageous, wasn't found within Joshua, wasn't found in him looking at the circumstances around him, but rather was found in looking at who God is, who the one is who promised to be with him. That's the truth for each and every one of us. That when there's stuff that comes around us that says, hey, I want to suffocate you because I want you to be afraid, the freedom, the liberty in that fear, the stuff to be afraid of, isn't found within us. Of saying, yeah, I can kick this through. I can make a way here. Isn't found in just the circumstances getting better around us. It's ultimately found in us lifting our eyes to who God is. See, I can tell you a story. I can tell you loads of stories. Like fear is something that I've struggled with most of my life. The fear of kind of what others might think of me. The fear of what could happen to me. And I've known unbelievable freedom. Like 20 years ago, because of the kind of age I am. 20 years ago, of just knowing, actually, I'm not made to be someone who is governed by fear. I'm one who is led by a shepherd who is a king, Jesus, who continuously shapes my life with his unconditional love and mercy. And that therefore causes me to live free. And then last Friday, I'm like prepping up for Vision Sunday talk. And I find this onslaught of fear. Like something I've not battled with for like 20 years. I think, what's going on here? And I think, I've not got this in me. Oh, and I never had. What do I have to do? I have to, in that moment, remember who Jesus is. Remember who is with me that allows me to know, hey, I, I can know freedom from this. And the onslaught that it comes to immobilize and suffocate of the accusations that come in those moments, the, the way that if I'm not careful that I can find myself down a track of thinking that is unbelievably kind of irrational, but it seems like the most rational thing ever. And in those moments, it isn't that I, re, I think myself out of it or think I've got the strength to do this. No, it's, it's that I realize, oh man, I'm just weak. And Jesus, I, remember, I need to remember who you are and that you're with me and the freedom comes. See, for Joshua, he knew that. He was a man who knew what it meant when God says, I will be with you wherever you go. See, that was what had characterized his life. 
See, being characterized as one who knew that God was with him. He knew that God was with him because of God's provision. As I said, he'd known that, Exodus 16.35. So the people of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they arrived at the land where they would settle. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. See, Joshua had lived for 40 years seeing God provide manna in the morning, quail in the evening. Just, just seen it. He'd seen daily God providing enough six days of the week, and on the sixth day, double amount in order that everyone could rest on the seventh. He'd lived for 40 years knowing that God is faithful. God is one who will provide. See, we live not with tiny birds and flaky bread. We live in a day and age of God's ultimate provision of his son, Jesus, who lived and died and rose again. For us to know that's the benchmark here of God's provision for us. A provision that allows us to know that we're not just any old bunch of people. Oh, we are the children of God. Because that's what we are. Because of what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection. He's caused us to know the unconditional love and mercy of God in order that we could forever belong to him. And then he says, oh, and if that's the benchmark, Romans 8, this is Adrian Hurst's paraphrase, if the benchmark of my love is the giving of my son, how much more will I graciously give those whom I love? God is one who provides for us. Joshua had known God's provision daily to a land that, no, God is with me. But it wasn't just his provision that he'd known, it was also his presence. I think my favorite story of Joshua is this. In Exodus 33, 11, it says this. That this is a moment where God was in ha- showing his presence amongst the people through a limited space. We live in a privileged age where God's presence comes wherever we gather and is within us. But in this moment, it was that God limited himself in order that these people would know, and he'd come and dwell within a tent. It says this, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterwards, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Joshua is just someone who loved to be in God's presence. He wasn't looking to rush away. He wasn't looking to think, hey, maybe I could get there and do that. No, no. He was like, no, this is good. This is the moment where I feel most at home. This is the moment where I feel most whole is in your presence, God. See, the reality is like Joshua, we're invited in. We're invited to know that presence. Do you know that presence? Not that we have to go to some special tent or build a special building. No, no, wherever we are, whenever we are, we can know the presence of God with us. The question is, do we? Do we do that? Do we set out and say, no, I want to, in this moment, God, know more of your presence with me. The Holy Spirit longs to manifest in us and around us. So he wasn't just someone who knew provision and presence. He's also someone who knew God's promise. See, God speaks and says, don't allow this word to kind of not be on your lips. The words of everything God had spoken, and God had spoken some big promises 
over this people. So we find in Exodus 6, um, 6 to 7, God says this, Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great act of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be, be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who has freed you from the oppression in Egypt. So this moment is that God promises that, hey, I, I'm going to free you and take you to this land. That's the promise. And in this moment, as Joshua stood, looking over at the land across the river, and God is saying to him, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Why? Because I'm with you. Because I promised I'd be with you. I promised you that land to build a home in. A land that he promised to the ancestors, to Abraham. A land that Abraham was promised that he was to build home in. To build a home there in order that it would be a blessing to all peoples. That was the promise. Joshua is a man who said, actually, God, I know that my ability not to fear isn't based on some distant possibility. It's based on a firm promise of the past. God, you promised this, therefore it will be. And the same is true for us, that we need to understand that when it comes to knowing God with us, it's also knowing that he has promised it. That Jesus has promised that he is enough, that he is the light of the world. That he is the light that's come to illuminate every single one of our lives. But he's also the light that's come to illuminate the whole of the earth. That just as he started a restoration project in you, he started a restoration project for the whole of the universe. And therefore, one day, he will come back and fulfill everything he's promised. That he will cause the whole of this earth to be filled with the glory, the goodness, the love of God as the waters cover the sea. That's the promise. See, we can look at it and say, yeah, yeah, okay. But is it? Yeah, we're to know God is with us because Jesus said this, Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. I watched last night um, The Darkest Hour, which tells the story of Winston Churchill becoming prime minister and the first battles he had of rallying the country in a moment of utter crisis. And there's this scene, if you've watched the film, you'll know the scene. If you haven't, I just strongly urge you to watch the film. It's, just, it's unbelievably good. But there's this scene where Winston Churchill looks at how dark everything is around. Looks at how hopeless it all seems. 300,000 troops, literally the whole of the British army, stuck in France. No way to get them back. And every advisor he's got around him is saying, capitulate. Look for a deal with Hitler. And everything in him is thinking, no, no, I can't do this, but maybe that's the way. Maybe I should just throw it in. Throw the towel in and just see what can happen. And there's this scene where it's the night before he's about to announce to Parliament what he's going to do. And he's just sat in darkness. 
And in the darkness, his wife comes in and turns the light on and says, you've got a visitor. And he says, well, who can it be at this hour? And she says, it's the king. And at that moment, the king comes in and sits next to him on his bed and just says this, I know what you are facing and I want you to know I am with you. And it's in that moment you suddenly realize that Winston Churchill isn't alone. He's about to stand up against the the whole of his party who are saying capitulate, just throw in the towel. And he's about to say, no, this isn't a moment to give up. And he's going to do, we'll fight them in the blah, blah. He's going to do that speech. Very powerful speech. Totally ruined by Adrian Hurst. But that's not the point. The point is this, that in that moment where he feels desperately alone, he feels the fear come in, he feels very afraid, the king comes and literally sits next to him and says, I am with you. And if it's just the two of us, we can do this. And I think so often we find ourselves in moments of thinking, I am afraid, I'm very afraid. And everything around us we're looking at and thinking, oh, but maybe, maybe, and they say, no, no, just give up. And it's in those moments we need to remember that the king comes and sits with us and reminds us of what he always said. He is with us to the very ends of the age. Therefore, do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous because he goes with us wherever we go, providing for us, allowing us to know his presence and promising that he will fulfill everything that he's spoken. Therefore, this coming year, as we give ourselves to building and shaping and making home, let's make it a home where we fear not. There is much that speaks and says, be afraid at the moment. But I believe God speaks over us, just as he did with Joshua and says this, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Reality is, I can say that and think, that's easy, isn't it? For some of us, we know what it is to feel like fear is continuously suffocating us. But the truth is this, it has no power compared to who Jesus is. And for us this year, the invitation is, hey, don't look within you, yourself. Look to him. Because he has everything you need to not be afraid. And for the rest of us, as we think, man, I don't think I am fearing. Well, hey, there's going to be much that gets escalated and pronounced of be afraid, be very afraid. And in those moments, let's keep looking. Remember, the king is with us. Let's be strong and courageous as we seek to build hope. Can I pray for us? And we're going to end. God, I thank you that you know every situation here. God, you know everything that we're facing individually and together. And God, I thank you that you're interested in it. And I pray, God, would you come and would you speak to every life and heart. And I pray, would you speak over us
the call to be strong and courageous, to not be afraid, knowing this is not down to us, it's down to the fact that you are with us. And I pray for individuals here where it just feels like, man, I'm finding it hard to see you, God. I pray would you come and reveal yourself in more clarity. I pray, God, for some of us where we feel like, man, if I just worked harder, I'd get myself out of this situation. I pray, God, that we'd know that in these moments is actually we need to just get into your presence more. So we need those Joshua tent moments where we say, no, this isn't a moment to work harder. It's a moment more to rest in who you are, Jesus. And I ask God, would you cause us to know that you are so much better than we ever give you credit for? And I pray, God, as we see more of who you are, that it would cause us to understand that we can be strong and courageous knowing you're with us. I really ask that, Jesus. Amen.